0: More than once, actually.
1: Do I have to say? Yes, you do.
0: In the car before my kid's PTA meeting.
1: Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website
2: for details. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 367. It's not Christmas until you see Hans Gruber fall from the Nakatami Tower. audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Today's show is also sponsored by the Newport Beach Film Festival. The Newport Beach Film Festival invites you to Orange County, California, where the past attendance of the festival was over 58,000 film geeks, enthusiasts, and cinephiles during a week-long festival that runs from April 23rd to the 30th. The submission deadline is December twentieth, and you can submit through Film Freeway or at NewportBeachFilmFest.com. Now, before we get started, I want to thank you guys all again for such support on my new book, Rise of the Film Entrepreneur. It is—I'm I'm just overwhelmed at what you guys have been saying, your reviews, messages, posts on social media. I really, really appreciate it, guys. Thank you so, so much. And also thank you for the lovely response to the new trailer for my new film on the corner of Ego and Desire, which comes out January 21st, 2020, everywhere. And I'll be talking more about that. There'll be some more clips being released over the next few weeks into the release date right before Sundance. So thank you guys so much. If you want to check that trailer out, head over to egoanddesirefilm.com. Now today we have a special, special Christmas edition of the Indie Film Hustle podcast, because I'm here to put to rest once and for all the greatest debate in cinema history. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I say, Yibikai, yes. <laughs> I believe that Die Hard is by far the greatest Christmas movie of all time. But other people out in the world, I don't know who these people are, but they believe that it's not even a Christmas movie, let alone the greatest of all time. So today we brought on a guest, a returning champion, Stephen Follows, who if you guys know from my past episodes with him, he is an insane man from England who loves to dig into film industry data to find everything out you can about what's going on in the film industry. So he put this lens this data driven lens onto die hard to truly see if the data proves once and for all that it is a christmas movie we can debate whether it's the greatest christmas movie or not that's another question and we might talk about it a little bit of in this episode but in this episode we're going to check the data and see once and for all if die hard is a christmas movie Now, this is not my normal episode, but I thought it'd be good to have a fun episode every once in a while because there's been a lot of heavy stuff going on over the course of the last six months to a year with the distributor debacle and all sorts of other things going on. And I just wanted to put a little levity into the holidays. So this is a super, super fun episode. We are going to geek out. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Stephen Follows. I'd like to welcome back to the show returning champion Stephen Follows. How are you doing, sir? Uh, very well, thank you. It's nice to know I won on my previous uh, appearances. You uh, are. Nice this is, this yes, is. you are you are a returning champion, sir. There's a, there's a handful, there's a club of guests who get to come back uh, multiple times on the show. There, and it's a small club, believe it or not. There's not many people that I bring back on the show, even after they've been on. But as, as I continue to grow my numbers, as far as episodes are concerned, I got to keep finding people to come on. You've got to find people who want to
3: come back on as well. Cause remember there might've been people that have been on the first time who've gone, you know what? I'm not doing that again. You know, <laughs>
2: I haven't, I I haven't, I haven't, I have not heard that yet, sir. I hope that never happens.
3: Oh, I can give you a list. They email me.
2: (laughs) They email you. Who's this guy? I swear to God. So I wanted to do this kind of special Christmas episode. This is something I've never done in the history of the show before. And it was, and we actually came up with this idea. The last time you were on the show, after, after we were done recording your last episode, we should, I think, I don't know whose idea, if it was yours or if it was mine, but it was like, Hey, we should do an episode on why die hard argue the point that Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie of all time. I'm like, yes, we need to do this. So, um, so we, shall we jump right into it, sir? What is your yeah. What is your thesis, uh, in regards to, uh, Die Hard being, uh, the best, f- I mean, arguably, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not, I mean, there's Elf, there's It's a Wonderful Life, um, well- there's many other things. I like things.
3: how you're jumping in as in like you're, you're, you're already sentencing the person assuming they're guilty and you, you have to put up a case. There has to be a prosecution. There has to be a defense. Absolutely. And there has to be an independent witness and you are absolutely not an independent yeah. witness. I- uh, I'm an independent so, so, filmmaker, but not an independent no. witness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Indian indie film hustle has nothing to do with your independence on this top or, yes, topic. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, so, all right. Well, you, you, let's not run before we can walk. Is it a Christmas movie? Let's let's figure that out, and then let's talk about how we might figure out if it's the greatest Christmas movie if we indeed decide it is a Christmas movie. Okay. Because believe it or not, that is not the most obvious thing in the world. Or at least there are many people who uh, do not believe it is a Christmas movie.
2: Including Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis says it's not a Christmas movie. But, yeah, uh, but he, he says I, it's a Bruce Willis movie,
3: so I, I don't think he's... He hasn't got a deep thesis there. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have a very independent point of view either. No. <laughs> yeah Bruce Willis talking about Bruce Willis in Bruce Willis movies yeah independent isn't the strong word that comes to mind
2: I think I should start first of all I think I should start talking about myself in the third person more often so like I think Alex Ferrari believes that uh, this is an Alex Ferrari podcast so Alex Ferrari believes that it's uh, it's the best Christmas movie for
3: Alex. Well, Rory. surely you're the one person in the film industry who has not been a guest on your own podcast. So no, I actually,
2: I, 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 I actually been a guest on my own podcast. I had, I had one wow. tribe, I had a tribe member interview me on my show because they request. He requested, like, can I interview you for you for the tribe on your show? I was like, okay, if you want to. So I had Rob Alicia uh, come on, and he interviewed me. So yes, I have been a guest on my own show. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Alex Ferrari has been a guest on Alex Ferrari's show.
3: <laughs> well, I'm glad I've been a guest on your show more than you've been a guest on your show, at least. True I mean, that, yes. Know, yes. Iranian champion. Yes. Well, okay. Uh, let me, let me start it off by asking you what, I'm assuming you think it's a Christmas movie. Why do you think it's a Christmas movie? What makes well, it a Christmas movie?
2: Well, before we start, I want to I ask you. I want I want everybody to know if you do not know who Stephen follows is Stephen. W- just because pe- somebody be like, what? Who's this Stephen guy? Why is Alex talking to him? Oh, excuse me. Why Why is Alex Ferrari talking to him? So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to know. Stephen is is a, probably he is a unicorn in our industry. He there is nobody else like him. Uh, there he does something that nobody else uh, wants to do, nor has the ability to do, which is (laughs) dig so deep into data for films that, I mean, he's a data cruncher for for filmmaking in general and goes into just obscene minutiae these reports he puts out on these amazing, um, amazing uh, reports about filmmaking and horror reports and all this stuff. So I thought that if there's anybody who can put up an argument for this topic. I thought Stephen would be a perfect guest. Did I miss anything, sir? Would you like to represent yourself in this conversation? (laughs) Well, you know, normally uh,
3: my British sense of sort of um, uh, self-effacingness is just making me go, no, 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 I don't go too deep on stuff, but I'll be honest. Even I think I went too deep on this topic Uh, (laughs) because last Christmas I kind of got carried away. What was was meant to be like, you know, my articles take me half a day at most, maybe some take longer. But then sometimes I build up databases that I can use multiple times and it, it feels much more like a hobby. It doesn't take crazy amounts of time. This one took a crazy amount of time because I kept thinking of new threads and, and also because I happen to be I don't do a huge amount of teaching just because of time. I'd love to do more. But I was talking to a group of M.A. students in Birmingham and I had to come up with a topic to talk to them about film data. And I wanted to get them interested. And and I thought, oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie was the topic. I thought that would be great because it will allow me to think about movies as we'll talk about later on in different ways. And so I asked them and then they brought up loads of good threads and then I talked to other people. And every time I answered one part of the questions, I'd come up with two other threads. And the only reason that I published the article was, in the end was because it was coming close to Christmas. I could still, I would still be working on it today if I could like a year later. So um, yeah, this time I did go too deep. Well,
2: not okay. too deep, I went very <laughs> Okay, so, so your first question is, uh is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Is your yeah. question. All right, so for everybody who is, is listening who does not know the movie Die Hard, it is a film that was done in 1988 it is an action thriller uh with starring the legendary Bruce Willis and arguably this is the movie that made him the legend. This is the one that pretty much launched his career uh as a action star, as a, as the movie star that we you know, we know who he is at this point. He's done other movies but this was the one that really Put him on the map
3: because he was a romantic star, right? He was in before this. I might, Moonlighting, he was
2: on TV, Moonlighting. Yeah, exactly. So. Moonlighting, and also Blind Date with Kim Basinger in '86, if I'm not mistaken, '86, '87. So he he already had kind of started doing some feature work, but he was known as a TV actor for for Moonlighting. I think he did two or three episodes of that when when that that show was like the show everybody was watching, and that's kind of where we were introduced to Bruce. But Die Hard, like I still remember. Going into the theater in 1988, I'll never forget it. And I, and I came in late and it was a, it was, it was already a big blockbuster at the time that I went to go see. It was probably a week or two in and everybody was talking about it. This is pre internet, pre everything, of course. And I went to the, I, I I got in late, so I had to go to the front of the theater. So I I sat like, I think in row one or row two and I just sat there looking up at it, which probably (laughs) affected my impression of the film. And when I saw it, I'm like, this is like the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just like such, and it it is, it is spawned. That movie spawned every other kind of movie. When it's Die Hard on a ship, Die Hard on a plane, Die Hard in a sub, Die Hard in a hockey rink, Die Hard like it, they they just use the concept of terrorists taking over something and the, the lone hero. Prior to to Die Hard, I don't know if there was a a film a film a film about something like this specifically with the the you know the smart cracking detective who was extremely human he wasn't like uh, which was also something that stood out about that movie at the time was you know his contemporaries stallone and stallone jean-claude van damme schwarzenegger these were all muscle-bound hyper real human beings they were not the everyday man where bruce wasn't particularly, you know, a huge dude by any stretch. He just looked like an everyday guy. And that's also something that stood behind, stood, made this film stand out even more, but there's multiple reasons why this film stood out even more. So to yeah. go back, to it your... was it,
3: it was one year after Lethal Weapon. So Lethal Weapon had a very similar vibe, A different movie because that was more on the comedy side, less on the action, in my yes. opinion. Both action comedies, but this one putting more emphasis on the action and the comedy being important, but not the essence. It's, this isn't a comedy; it's a funny no. action film. No, no. Whereas absolutely,
2: absolutely.
3: Lethal Weapon, you could argue, is is more of a comedy with action. I don't know.
2: It's uh, and, and there was a good there was a good run there of of amazing amazing films in the 80s that were just some of the best action movies Predator Die Hard mm-hmm. RoboCop Lethal Weapon Lethal Weapon 2 um, you know, the I Commando put, com, Well, well, come. well, okay, let's okay, let's just calm the <laughs> hell down here for a second. The <laughs> other films I listed off in that list were uh, they they're actually really really good films that actually hold up. Their stories are good. Um their commentary yeah, like Commando. Like yeah. Okay, stop it. Um so but Don't I look, my friend he's dead tired. I, you know, oh my quality. God. Oh my god, it was so good. But Commando is good for it's kind of commando is good, like the room is good. Like it's 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 so like there was cardboard cutouts of people being blown up. <laughs> I, you know, so it's 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 a very interesting. Um and it's so funny. I actually met one of the stunt guys from Commando. He lives in he lives in the in, in my area, and I met him on the street, and he's like, Yeah, yeah, I've been doing stunts forever. I'm like, What well, movies have you? And he's like, Commando, I'm like, oh, where where were you in Commando? He goes, "I'm the mall cop that gets uh elbowed." Oh, uh, uh, the one. And it was a great shot. It was a really good shot. And he's like, "Yeah, that was me." I'm like, "Oh my god!" And then we start talking about Fall Guy and all the other shows and movies he did. But anyway, uh, I would I just ask him about all sorts of stuff about Commando. But anyway, this is not the Commando show. This is Die Hard. So, okay, I, I have a, I have a trivia question for you though, Alex, and yes. I'm going to put
3: you on the spot. Go for it. Do you know uh, what die what well, the origins of the Die Hard script?
2: Yes, like, it's, it is from, it's a movie adaption from the 1968 uh, book, The Detective. Which is a sequel to what? It is a sequel to, it was actually, wasn't that a movie with Frank Sinatra?
3: Yeah. So the, the, originally there's a book called nothing lasts forever yes. and then there's a follow-up called the detective. And then the detective was made into a film with Sinatra and then Sinatra had the rights to, uh, to play McLean uh-huh. uh, and they had to offer this to him. He was 73 at the time and he, <laughs> he, he turned it down, but there is a part of me. I mean, I, I want to see that as well as the, as the Bruce Willis version, not instead. Please, please. I, yes, I, please. Yes. I, I, I <laughs> also we're now in the kind of era of you know, older audiences and um, movies being remade. Why can't we have the version where we use the technology from Star Wars where they <laughs> either yeah, use CG people, but we use a 73-year-old Sinatra who's oh, drunk through most of it and we remake oh, the movie. Oh, my
2: God. Yes. And then Come we can have, have Sammy J, this, we have Dean, We can have Dean and Sammy in it, too. Oh, it would be fantastic. A Rat Pack Die Hard. Fantastic. We can make this. Between can- you and me, we can get this made. <laughs> That would be amazing. But yes, that yeah, that was uh, – and that's the funny thing about this movie, that that book was no – like it wasn't Jaws. It wasn't The Godfather. It wasn't this big best-selling situation. There was a specific magic that happened in Die Hard where the director who arguably for his time was one of the greatest action directors ever, John McTiernan, who, who made Die Hard and also made The Predator – or excuse me, Predator – uh, which I still argue is one of the greatest art, one of the greatest action films, especially in the, easily in the top three action films of all time. And then you know he made uh, I think Die Hard three as well, which is you know the next best one I think in the in the yeah, in, in the run. Uh, two was two was horrible. Um, we don't talk about two. We don't talk about two. I enjoyed four though. I did enjoy four. I thought that was a interesting uh, an interesting. Um, submission into the but then it completely went off the rails which is the one where they he takes down a helicopter with a car um, that would be i think that might be four but i know he took down a harrier jet in four <laughs> with a car i think that was one of them and so yes it was a little but the but the script was so well written like it was a really good script and they just threw john McClane in it like it was it was a pre-existing script that they rewrote as a diehard Oh movie. yeah, it was called like it was something to do with a meltdown, wasn't it? It was the yeah, cyber it was, attack. It was a cyber yeah. attack, yeah, yeah. So it was it wasn't an official Die Hard film, but they just like, well, this is a Die Hard, let's put John McLean in it, and that's the end of it. So that was a really good one as well. But uh, but back to the original, back to the original on on Die Hard. Why do I think it is a uh, a Christmas movie? Well, first off, it takes place during Christmas, which does not automatically add it into the into the list of. Christmas movies but that helps Uh, because could you you know Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is that a Christmas movie you know any basically it's Lethal Weapon a Christmas movie because it was during christmas a there's lot of a, the 80s yeah because i think there's it shane was black it was shane black he did most of them exactly <laughs> i think they, it's kind of i
3: don't know i don't want to be i don't mean this in a mean in a mean way but it's a lazy irony you know the the happiest time of the year where the saddest things are happening it's got a natural ticking clock it's got like, something visual so the, the reason for choosing christmas is not inherent in the story it's inherent in the medium it's you know action yeah. films work better at christmas
2: yeah there and i i think you know i think Lethal Weapon was one of the, I don't know, I can't say it was one of the first, but it was one of the first times I remember Christmas being a thing. But even then, Christmas was not a main focus of the Lethal Weapon story. I mean, there was elements in the background, while Die Hard has a lot of iconography that is really Christmas. There's dialogue, ho, ho, ho. There's the Christmas tree. There's the Christmas hats. There's, it, it was just, there's a lot more Christmas In Die Hard than there is in a movie like Lethal Weapon, in my opinion. or you'd have to worry about your opinion because i actually
3: counted all the references and i'll talk about that of in a co- minute of, of, so, course of course you, course you did, did. You, you're just sort of remembering things I, I've, I've got the stats i've even got the time codes anyway do you see, but, okay, do, you see so, do you see do you see what i'm talking about people do you see so what i'm the, talking about i want to interrogate this further so so okay. your argument it's a christmas movie comes down at least in one part that you you said it wasn't the whole argument but there you, it gets some points some Christmassy points yes. for being set around christmas and having some christmas elements all right what else makes it what what tips it over the edge and actually makes it a Christmas movie rather than just a movie that happens around Christmas time?
2: Well, there is a, there is a redemption of, of the main character. There is a, there is a, I feel there's a redemption of the, of the main character with the relationship with his wife, which is really kind of brings a family together at the end where at the beginning there was no family. So like there was, they were divorced. They didn't like each other, but then past all of that, uh, it was this experience that brings them very close together uh, and it brings the family back together. You know, I, so I thought that was a really nice way of... That's nice, but come on. It's not, we need to be a bit more empirical about this.
3: Like, there are so many movies that do that. I mean, and there are so many movies where people do get together and it could have been a Christmas movie that they didn't, if they hadn't got together at the end, it wouldn't be any less of a Christmas movie, would it?
2: Mm, well, no, it wouldn't be less of a Christmas movie, but, you know, there is also that whole... You know, okay, Christ like object- no no, no, no Christ like <laughs> sacrifice, if you will, that John McClane by walking on broken glass. And you know, if you want to start going deep into it, we can go deep well, into look, it. No no no. If you're going to go deep,
3: I don't, I don't think the Passion of the Christ <laughs> is, is on a par with that bit where she, he says shoot the glass. Like I I mean I like the scene, but I think the. Thing- <laughs> The level of suffering can we at least agree is not comparable.
2: No, uh, obviously, obviously, but I would so, argue that Die Hard is much more of a Christmas movie than, than The Passion yeah, but, okay, of the Christ. Uh, uh, no,
3: listen, look, we're going to we're going to take this seriously enough. So far, <laughs> you've only got one reason I'm willing to uh, even allow in, which is it has Christmas elements. The other reasons are too generic, uh, susta-
2: you know, objective well, uh, uh, But also, but how about? But, how, but also, there's a very heavy use of Christmas music in it which is something very, very heavy use of it from the end, from the opening to the end through, I think throughout a little bit, there's some sort of, but there's like, God, there's so many different like, you know, like ho, ho, ho. And it's like the, 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 um when they, when they kills the one of the terrorists and puts the, the Santa hat on them. And there's just so much of that kind of like really, really tipping their hat toward the Christmas thing that I found it, you know, it just okay, makes, okay. That's, that's so, one element
3: of it. So, so you've got Christmas songs and you've got it being set at Christmas. All mm-hmm. right. Is that the, is, does the prosecution uh, rest or have you have other evidence?
2: Well, uh, so I'm, I'm going to say, <laughs> i love this. This is great. I'm not letting you get away
3: with this because okay. I'm
2: not saying it's not, I just want you to make a cogent argument so that we can. Okay. Then, so there's you know, Christmas songs. All right. So cr- there's Christmas music. There is uh, a lot of Christmas uh, references to, in the movie there's a lot of tips of the hat to christmas regarding dialogue regarding uh, action in the movie that is around christmas so it's not just a background element like a christmas tree in the background so there's there's a bit of that there's a bit of that as well in it and then there is the whole i mean just to add it on as a cherry on top this kind of bringing together of the family after out, out of it as well so i think that in my opinion, and then also just the bottom line is, I enjoy watching it at Christmas time. So there's a lot of Christmas right. movies that people watch at Christmas time that aren't particularly Christmas movies. You know? Interesting, interesting. So that's so, so that's one thing. Yeah. we're talking about the perception of it as well.
3: Then okay, that makes sense. Okay, I have a a couple of questions uh, uh, I would like to ask the witness. Yes, um, <laughs> I love it. So we've we established that the film came out in 1988. What month did it come out?
2: uh it was uh i think it was september was it no no was it was it september around that time july it was july away, oh it was a Feb- summer february movie. in
3: the, february in the uk february 89 so not Christmassy. the no? farthest away you can get from christmas um the poster uh what christmas christmasy elements were on the poster none None. Okay. Uh, And the tagline, you know, like, okay, so you've got the Polar Express. The tagline is this season, believe, you know, uh, Krampus, you better watch out. Elf, this holiday, discover you're an elf. What was the
2: tagline for Die Hard? Uh, 40 stories of sheer adventure, sir.
3: (laughs) So not very Christmassy then.
2: No, not very Christmassy at all. But that's the thing that is so wonderful about it, because if you sold it as a Christmas action movie, which... I don't think, I don't remember of a film being sold that way. You lead with the action, and the Christmas is a bonus, sir.
3: (laughs) So hold on, hold on. You've gone from the definitive Christmas movie to Christmas is purely a bonus.
2: Uh, Oh, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Don't use my words against me, sir. Do not use my words against me, sir. I do still believe it is a definitive Christmas movie because for me, I watch it during Christmas, so a lot of people can watch Predator during Christmas and might find it to be Christmassy. I don't know why, but they might. There is certain elements with it because of the music, so the the music and the and the kind of call outs to Christmas in the movie during Christmas time makes sense. This movie gained its real popularity on home video. It did not it was a big hit at the, th- at the theater, but where it really took off because of the time period that it came out in was Rentals, video stores, uh, and, and cable, just like uh, Terminator and, and, and Lethal Weapon and those movies of that time period. That's how it became such a roaring success it was because of that.
3: I thought for a second that you uh, and you didn't, so I'm not accusing you of this. But I thought for a second one of your reasons was going to be that people gave it to each other as Christmas presents.
2: No, uh, I don't. Think, I don't think. I don't think. I think it's one of those. I think it's. It's not. It's not an overtly Christmas movie. Meaning that it's oh, not. Some, wow,
3: you're getting further wait,
2: and further. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. This is for me. <laughs> I for me, it is a. It is a definitive Christmas movie for me. And for many people that I know of, because it's obviously a thing, because we're talking about it, but it is not. A, I mean, maybe you give it as a friend a gift to a friend at Christmas time, and only somebody that understands the inside, you know, joke a bit of it will go, "Oh, I get it. This is, of course, a Christmas movie. It's not so. So it's, so it's, it's, not, a, so it's a secret Christmas movie. But it's clearly but it, it's, it's a secret. It's a, it's, a, it's a it's a secret Christmas movie that is the definitive <laughs> Christmas movie, sir." <laughs>
3: Wow. I do hope you are never defending me in court. Oh, it's horrible. Th- this is okay, horrible. Go ahead. As a, as a Christmas present to you, Alex, <laughs> Yes, uh, and, and assuming that you may get into further debates, because I get the sense you are the kind of person that has these conversations off mic as well. Oh, uh, yes, let me, I do. Let me help you, because there are a few things that you perhaps could have... Um, Used in my defense? Uh, <laughs> yes, brought into the record, and you haven't. OK, so let me help you. This is my present to you. And then maybe at the end we can we can test your argument for for other people. So. All right. Is it, so this is I love this because this is such an interesting question, because it makes us think about what is a movie? Like, what is the concept of a movie? like, who, And also you touched on it before. Like, is it the cultural understanding of it? Is it what in it? So I think there are three different ways that you can think of a movie. Mm-hmm. It's art to so like mm-hmm. culture you know like it's um uh, sorry it, it's art it's a it's a creative thing it's a, it's a it's a piece of art it, the, the the visual the audio the 90 minutes whatever however long it is that like, that's something we could look at and that's what we talked about there's secondly there's the commercial side of it, like how is it sold? How is it marketed? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what did what did Fox think of it? And then the last one is the cultural one, where it's the move it's the story of the story, if you will. Like it's what we think about it and the perception. We, how we, exactly. Right. And, how, and and that can shift. Like the movie can't shift because it is a fixed movie, unless you're George Lucas. But other than that, the movie is fixed, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the commercial side of it, that shifts. But then again, we all know that they'd stick anything. I mean, you can get um ho-ho-hodor t-shirts for Game of Thrones. So right. let's not, you know, the Christmas side of the commercial part is not the definition. But the cultural stuff shifts. So um, let's let's start with the easy one. Let's start with the one that you were talking about before. So uh, I counted all the words in, in, in the script. Uh, of course and you did. <laughs> take a guess how many times the word Christmas comes up.
2: Christmas comes up, uh, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, 20 times maybe? Eighteen, pretty okay. good guess. Okay, okay, pretty good guess. Okay, so that that is more
3: times than the words explode, die, hard, shoot, kill, or blood. But it is fewer than the words gun. The, the word gun comes up seventy three times. That makes sense. Uh, and also, interestingly, if you want to talk about like uh, how the how you could look at a script and determine the genre, mm-hmm. the word suddenly comes up forty five times. So it shows that there are. Reveals and and you know moments and it's not a slow paced drama you know the word suddenly is quite important to it anyway okay so yeah Christmas is quite a lot there's a lot of Christmas in there there's also a meta reference where they're talking about whether the song uh, Christmas in the Hollies by Run DMC is Christmassy enough but
2: anyway. which which is another argument to be had I, I actually believe yeah, it's very yeah, it's Christmassy re- it's meta okay so uh,
3: the, the, one of the writers, Stephen D'Souza said it is, it is a white, it is a Christmas movie. He said, if it's, if this isn't a Christmas movie, then white Christmas isn't a Christmas movie. Um, which by the way, if you've ever rewatched is absolutely horrific, like holiday Inn and movies like that, that we think of as classics. I went to go and see one, um, uh, years ago, like they did a rerun in theaters at Christmas. And so Mm -hmm. I was there with my mulled wine and my mince pie and sitting there watching, I was on a date and I watched this like old classic Bing Crosby Christmas movie. And then there's a sequence in it where they all black up and dance. And you're like, wait, what? Yeah. What, 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 what's going on? Like I didn't, and you just, I was there on a date. I brought wine. It did not look good. Um, anyway, (laughs) uh, so yeah, visual references, 21 distinctive Christmassy elements, Mm -hmm. Uh, Santa hats, Christmas trees, a piece of uh, Christmas greetings tape, which, I mean, I was about to say spoilers, but if you're listening to this, I I mean, mean, and you haven't seen it, we haven't spoiled your life. You've spoiled your life. Uh, Um. (laughs) But the the, the tape with the gun on his back. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So that helps, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned songs. Uh, Mm -hmm. So... I <laughs> I used to, this is where I'm I'm now embarrassed the level I did go to. So I looked at a database of um, of songs and that are in movies and references, and I pulled loads of different databases together, and I tried to look at how many um, movies have Christmas songs and how much don't. And uh, and about ninety five percent of movies don't have any Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Between, you know, the, the Die Hard is more Christmassy than something like 99.2% of movies released over the last 30 years, just from the music alone, because you got Christmas in the Hollies, Winter Wonderland, Jingle Bells, Let It Snow, right. all that stuff. So as a piece of art, yeah, probably quite Christmassy, probably mm-hmm. quite Christmassy. Um, although that said, you, the, do, you, do you know the number one song across all movies, num- the number one Christmas song that's in the most number of... Christmas movies.
2: I'm going to guess Jingle Bells. It is Jingle Bells, but even, you know, <laughs> Jingle
3: Bells is not a Christmas song. It was written for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it is. Um, You're right. Absolutely. There's so, nothing Christmassy so, about it. <laughs> exactly. And yet that's the most Christmas song. So we're already discovering that, uh, that every time we win, we lose. There, there is an underbelly of lies
2: amongst all <laughs> oh. uh, so anyway so uh, so so the, well, so, so, argue, so arguing that point that there's so much christmas music and music is such a, a very powerful uh, indicator of the tone that you want to set with a movie can we agree on that well, Is I would it, go one further.
3: I'd say it's more deliberate. If you set yeah. a movie at Christmas time, you have to have Christmas decorations in the background because that's just the nature of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's, if you have more and more of them, it doesn't mean it's more Christmassy. It just means it was set at Christmas. In the same way he's wearing the same you know, trousers the whole time. It, it, that doesn't change because it's set on the same night. But the songs, that's deliberate and that's uh, very thought through and it's done in the edit and they have many more choices. So oh, I would okay. argue as evidence of art it's a stronger piece of evidence than the the set dressing
2: yeah, and there was another movie of that time period called Cobra starring Sylvester Stallone that also took place during Christmas time for no apparent reason, <laughs> and you watch that movie, and it has absolutely nothing to do. With Christmas or Christmas time, like even though there is a Christmas element to it and everything, it was just kind of jammed in there for no reason. It does not incorporate in the story. I don't even think they make a reference to it in the movie. Uh, I was, I just actually watched it the other day and I was just like, this is. Well, first of all, it's absolutely amazing. But secondly,
0: <laughs> it's like um, commando,
2: though. I mean, it's no commando. Seriously. I mean, co- come on. Listen, all I got to do is when I saw commando, how many of us went out and just? I mean, it was just such a cool movie. I can't say I, I'm sure it does not. I, I'm sure it does not age well. And if I watched it today, I'd be going, what the hell is this? So <laughs> I, there are certain movies that do, like Bloodsport. I can't watch blood. I don't want to watch blood. Don't watch it. Just remember it. Your
3: version version is so much better. My
2: version of it is fantastic. I might, I actually fast forward to some of the action sequences. I'm like, Oh my God, they're just so lame or tame comparatively to what is going on today. But at the time, Oh, it's fantastic. Anyway, (laughs) let's move on. Um, all right. So, so talking
3: about like this, so the second way of thinking about movie is as a commercial product. And as we talked about, it came out in July, it's got yes. nothing Christmassy on the poster, mm-hmm. nothing Christmassy on the, on the, uh, in the tagline or anything sure. like that. It basically Fox clearly did not think it was a Christmas movie at the time. There's n- absolutely, they didn't. And mm-hmm. the fact that they're selling Christmas specials now, it says more about their marketing opportunity, marketing opportunity, opportunism than it mm-hmm. does about anything inherent in the movie. So if art, yeah, probably a Christmas movie, uh, culture, uh, uh, commercial. No, definitely not. So, not looking good for Christmas, right? Now. So we have got this last lens to look through, mm-hmm. which is culture. Mm-hmm. So I thought about this, and I was trying to think about how could you measure our perception of a movie, and and I and I came up with more ways, and I actually came up with another one that after I published the article, which annoyed me because I could have made it longer. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, maybe I'll do a director's cut another time. Um, so I, I thought, okay, why don't I look at IMDb lists? So any user for free who's got an account with IMDB can set up a list and say, uh, name the list anything they want and then link any movies to it, right? Mm -hmm. So you could say favorite action movies from the 80s or whatever. So I found all the lists that had anything to do with Christmas, which is Mm -hmm. just over 2000. Mm -hmm. And I looked at all the movies that were on these lists. So my question to you, Alex.
0: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW, avoid, we're prohibited
2: by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.
3: What movie was the most cited movie on lists about Christmas?
2: Uh, I
3: mean, either like Elf or Home Alone or something like that, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. Home Alone is number one. Elf is number two. Okay. That's pretty damn good. It's funny because Home Alone, again, very Christmassy, but not so much. Like, the core story is not about Christmas. It's obviously made it – the irony is made stronger that he's lonely at Christmas and he hasn't got his family and whatnot. But um, it's
2: not like Elf. Elf is a really – or the Santa Claus.
3: Real Christmassy.
2: But those – yeah, those are specific, you know, mythologies regarding Christmas and stuff. So Home Alone – this is an interesting interesting topic now. So Home Alone, which is – I also – consider a very yeah high list Christmas movie, something I watch course, yeah, every yeah, yeah. year. Yeah. Um, my other favorite is Family Man, but we'll we we'll get into that later. But um, <laughs> wow, you, you, yeah, well, you haven't got time
3: to go through all your issues.
2: That's, I that's bad. I I love I love the Family Man. Don't I? Well, it's Nick Cage at Christmas. I mean, come on. That's all right. You can
3: cut you can cut this out before it goes.
2: Sorry. No, 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 Save no. Yourself. This is good. This is going in. And I had the writers, sir. I had the writers of the Family Man on the show, sir. And I just geeked out for thirty minutes. But that's a whole other.
3: Oh, story. I didn't realize there were writers. I thought it was all improvised.
2: Wow, <laughs> wow. Do you buy? Do you buy the Haterade by the case or the (laughs) pallet, sir? So, um, so this is an argument to be made with Home Alone. Home Alone is your right. Does not have a specific. The story specifically does not include Christmas. As far like you could take that story and put it in the summer for a summer vacation, and it's and and the 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 movie plays. But because of the Christmas, because of the the left at home at Christmas time, where the snows out, there's not a lot of people. Uh, and then also all the Christmas imagery and all the stuff that regarding Christmas in that it is considered a Christmas movie and sold as a Christmas movie. If I'm not mistaken, it was sold as a. It came out at Christmas time, and I think even the the poster had he was wearing a Christmas mm-hmm. sweater, so it was a Christmas e movie where Die Hard obviously was not. In that sense, yeah. sold that way. <laughs> oh, in that sense, you're right. I mean,
3: I think you're, you're right. If you took Home Alone and you made it into a, a summer holiday movie, I think it would be less effective. The story would still yes. hold up, but it would be less. It would be less dramatic because the irony wouldn't be there. Whereas Die Hard set in July, you wouldn't miss it. You wouldn't think of it. I mean, obviously, if you'd seen the version now, you might say it's missing that extra little touch. But I, I still think Die Hard set in July would still be a damn good movie whereas i think home alone set in july is is so, less. Now,
2: right so then let, so let me let me throw this argument out at you do you believe that if you take die hard out of the christmas time because of our cultural attachment to christmas what that means culturally to us family which means about family being together, and the two main, the two character, the main character and his wife are separated at the beginning and are brought together at the end. Does that have the same emotional impact that it would in July than it would that that it would have in December? Maybe not July, but let
3: me make you two counterfactuals. One, it could happen on Valentine's Day. That would be more effective for but romance. culture.
2: No, for romance, yes. But I'm talking about family. There's a difference. I'm not talking yeah, about no, that's romance. True. It's, I'm not talking about romance. I'm talking because there's no romance. There's a little, very little romance in that movie. They kiss at the end and that's pretty much it. But he buys her a bear. I mean, what's more romantic than that? He does buy her a bear, but that's the, (laughs) the, you know, but uh, in all honesty, though, it's about bringing a family back together. And I think that family aspect of it means a lot more because it's Christmas time. There is a, there is a, basically, I feel that Christmas is another character in that movie. Without that character, I don't know if it's as impactful. Is it still a kick-ass action movie? Absolutely, but there's this this layer. Uh, it's a kind of like a tapestry, uh, Die Hard, where it just, you know, that Christmas layer really just adds to the flavor. It's a seasoning that makes the movie all the all that much better. I mean, same thing with. I mean, arguably, same thing with Lethal Weapon. Lethal Weapon in the summer, like obviously uh, I think in Lethal Weapon 2 it didn't take place in Christmas time, did it? It might have. I don't remember. That's not a good sign. But Lethal Weapon <laughs> 1 did take place during Christmas, and it added a little extra something at that time, even though it's not as nearly as heavy-handed as it was in Die Hard.
3: Well, what I think is pretty sad is that, you know, you can talk about families and they're, obviously there are literal families, but then there's also, you know, friends, you could argue that the, the limo driver and the yes. cop, and they all become like a family. But yes. what about the the Gruber gang? They, they might have been literal family. They certainly have planned this. They've been through lots of good things before this. Like, that's the movie I want to see, Die Hard from the Gruber's point of view, like a sad story of mm-hmm. lack of redemption. It's mm-hmm. like... Um, Con Air, you know, the story, um, the, the, uh, what's, what's his name? Ed Harris's character plays. I Uh, want to see a version like, well, Ed Harris, first of all, Ed Harris is not in Con Air. It's the the rock, sir. Sorry, the sorry. Rock, I'm thinking of The Rock. I'm thinking of like the beginning opening scene where he's putting a medal
2: on a, okay, in the rain. On a, on a I, I, I'm going to divert for – because you brought it up. I'm going to divert for one second from our diehard conversation because I need to put this out there. Do you agree with this thesis? I believe that regardless if you like Michael Bay or not, I think he's still one of the, one of the great action directors of the modern era without question unquestionably i mean it doesn't mean everything he's done is perfect
3: no he definitely has defined a a genre he's defined a style he's got a very clear visual way of telling a story which isn't everybody's taste but it it is it is art he is
2: he has a voice now would you would you agree with my thesis that after the rock came out because he did bad boys first and bad boys had elements of it but i think he really honed into something with the rock and then armageddon afterwards which is kind of like the commando of its day um <laughs> how but the, you? how do, no, um, for, uh, for, but no the, the rock, rock is, the rock is an actually the rock is an actually incredible. fantastic wonderfully acted it's directed the game written for the 90s it like was what wonderful it is. but do you agree that that, at that from that point on every other director, action director, was chasing Michael Bay. Every You could start seeing a shift in the way action movies were directed and produced after The Rock. And you could see it clearly with films right after The Rock because everyone started doing that. The same thing happened with Tony Scott. When Tony Scott showed up, action movies changed. Like When, t- when Tony Scott started doing action movies, everyone was like, well, I guess this is the way we do it. And Tony and, and Michael have a they, you could see that they went to the same school, but they have different different flavors without question. But yeah. uh, we're just going down. We're going down a little rabbit hole. I don't want to go too deep, but I just want to kind of bring that let's, up.
3: Let, yeah, let's go. Let's get back on track. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's not talk about frivolous things. Let's talk <laughs> about Die Hard. Come on. Okay, fair enough, so, fair enough, right, fair so, enough, fair so, enough. So I talked about uh, how uh, Die Hard shows up. Uh, oh, sorry. I didn't tell you where it shows up. So Die Hard uh, shows up in the, uh, like some of the most cited movies. It's the 22nd most cited Christmas movie. But what's interesting is I, I really? haven't got the data of when people added it, but I would guess that if I did the research again this year or in a few years time, it would be moving up the list. And I don't know if it'll ever knock off Home Alone or The Elf, but there are loads of movies in there that I think it would, it's going to become more Christmassy.
2: So then, so in time, as, as time has gone on, it is now in that concept of it being a Christmas movie, it is actually becoming more of a Christmas movie purely by the culture, society, and the well, fan exactly. base.
3: and and that's and that's what's so fa- fascinating. Is that the movies themselves, the actual movie, the the celluloid, the images, and the audio don't change, but our perception of them change massively. And so there are movies that you know, whether it be Birth of a Nation, Song of the South, you know, yeah, <laughs> things that we push away, and there are other things that we pull towards us, and they they got undiscovered classics or whatever. So I had a look at um, you can anyone can have a look at the page views for any Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. So I I went and had a look at like the page views. For films like Lethal Weapon, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Seven Samurai, Aliens, and they've got their all their views are spread out pretty much evenly across the year. Uh, and, and then I had a look at films like Elf, Home Alone, Love Actually, The Polar Express, and almost all, you know, half of all their views are in December. So then that, where does Die Hard fit? So what was so fascinating is Die Hard sits almost exactly halfway between the two. About 25% of all the views to the diehard Wikipedia page are in December. So it does have
2: that skew. Um, but in January, I'm imagining as well in
3: January as well, which is unusual because most Christmas movies, January is, is really not important, but for diehard, it, it, it actually kind of is. Um, but then the big one, the one that kind of nailed it for me where I was like, okay, I can see what's happening here is it, I looked at the Google trends data for the word diehard. Mm-hmm. And so over the last sort of, uh, 15 years or so, you see these big spikes, uh, when, <laughs> Die Hard 4.0 and The Good Day Die Hard came out, that's not relevant. But yeah. other than that, if you look at the spikes, you can see an increasing spike around Christmas. Each year, it's growing in size. And so what's happening is, if regardless of whether you think Die Hard, Die Hard was a, movie, a Christmas movie when it was made, maybe you do today, but it almost definitely will be in five, 10 years, maybe two years to the speed that the culture changes. So Die Hard is becoming a Christmas movie, regardless of whether it was or wasn't. So It might have been. It probably is now, but it definitely will be in the future, which is amazing because we're living through this cultural shift. And even the fact that this is a legitimate question, you know, uh, no one's asking if Alien is a Christmas movie. It's not taking up anyone's time. No one's doing podcasts about it. No one's doing Mm -hmm. data analysis. So the very fact that we're talking about it proves that it's culturally relevant to Christmas, which I think is amazing. It just really shows you movies are what we think they are, and, and like you said, actually, what, one of the things you said at the beginning, which I gave you some stick for, but actually is a pretty solid answer, which is, it is to me. And mm-hmm. that's, what, that's how culture works, you know? Culture is, uh, can be defined as the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. And so if that's a story that you tell yourself about Christmas for you, then it is true for you. And, and increasing numbers of people are doing that. So that's
2: brilliant. No, without, without question. And as, as we continue to go through, if you go throughout cinema history, there's movies that find their audience or find their thing later in life. I mean, Shawshank Redemption, which I've I've in nauseam have spoken about on the show being one of the greatest movies I've ever seen it's probably in the top of my list as my favorite movie of all time and we could do an entire podcast about just The Shawshank Redemption which I'm not no, sure there's a there's a Christmas movie sure, that's sure. A, obviously it's a Christmas movie no um no but that but how a movie like which is the worst marketing of all time called The Shawshank Redemption how that still gets for like I don't know seven Oscar nominations it did horribly in the movie theater but then all of a sudden over time it overtook The Godfather on IMDb as the greatest most highly rated movie of all time and how does that happen because of perception over time same thing happens with the room when the room first showed up you know tommy Wiseau's masterpiece uh he you know that showed up and everyone was like this is ridiculous but slowly the perception of it was like this is so bad that it is genius and well, then that- that- yeah sorry go on. No, no, no go, go, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I think this is because we're living in this age now
3: where social media and all this stuff is, we get so much more news, so much more culture. We're living in a time where we're seeing cultures shift in a way that they always shifted, obviously. We we're not still living in the Victorian era, but they, they did it sort of imperceptibly. Every now and then there'll be a moment, a war or a particular event or something that would remind people things have changed, you know. but actually, we're seeing it almost in real time. If you think about Me Too and things like that, you think about how people look back. I mean, what people were doing in the past. There was a defense that um, someone had on the the news recently. Uh, Boris Johnson was accused of uh, touching the, the knee of a journalist. And his defense was it was 20 years ago. Well, that's not a very good defense, but what he's saying is the culture has shifted. I'm not defending yeah, him at all, but course. I'm saying that we, we can feel it shifting. And, and Die Hard, using the, the example of Shawshank and The Godfather, both those movies were locked in time by the mid-90s. Both of them, have not a single frame has changed. Mm-hmm. And yet, the, the, the general agreement about which is better, although obviously a false binary choice because they don't they don't have to have a winner but if we ha- you know in the in the sense that we have to then that's changed it hasn't got better it hasn't got worse our understanding has changed and i find that absolutely wonderful i find it so interesting because it keeps movies alive you know and it also says that no one person can decide you know as much as we're joking no one person gets to say it is or it isn't even bruce willis doesn't get to say it is or it not we we dismissed his opinion pretty damn quickly
2: yeah oh, abso- absolutely absolutely
3: because it's about shared culture. And I think that's the joy of, of, of movies is that we can share the same experience. We can share different experiences of when we saw the movie and how we saw it. And also, our, our, like we said, going back and watching old videos from the 80s perhaps don't do that. Other movies you you overlooked. and I mean, I remember as a film student uh, skipping out of uh, being very sort of – not so much smug, but very pleased I'd got an afternoon off because I snuck out instead of watching Brief Encounter. And then as an adult discovering it, rewatching it and going, this is one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. This is beautiful. And then realizing that the the film hadn't changed, but my readiness to watch it, my understanding of it. Mm -hmm. And perhaps if I had been forced to watch it, maybe I never would have rediscovered it. I would have remembered it as something different or whatever. And so that's fascinating.
2: Well, it's exactly what happens with every single Kubrick film ever made. When it first comes out, people don't understand it or don't accept it or you know, every single one of his movies had some sort of real negative you know uh, attachment to it. Like when they when Eyes Wide Shut showed up, everyone's like this is the worst of his career, blah blah blah. Then 10 years later, oh, it's a masterpiece. Because of perceptions, because of the way things are looked like. For me personally, when I saw Eyes Wide Shut when it first came out in 99, I walked out of the theater with my other film my film snob friends and they go, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't know what it means. I will in about 10 years. I, I, I had enough <laughs> self-awareness to know. I'm like, I don't get it right now, but I will in about 10 or 20 years. And that's exactly what happened. 10 years later, 10, 12 years later, 15 years later, I watch it again after I was a married man. And I was like, oh, I understand what he was trying to say here. Like, oh, I get okay. it.
3: So what movies that, uh, of the last couple of years do you think are due for either a revival or uh, for a – I mean like at the time Die Hard came out, it would be kind of laughable. In fact, I think it would be you'd incre- be incredulous to say it's going to be on people's list of Christmas movies. Correct. Um, whereas now it doesn't. So what movies in the last couple of years
2: do you think are due oh, for a reimagining? Man. Jeez, that's a great question. Um, oh, God. It's like there's certain there's – certain, you know – there are certain films that hit you at a certain time in your life, where they, there's a nostalgia to it. You need to give the time. You need to give it time to marinate over over not over a few, just a couple years. I would have to argue maybe five, ten years later, where you can go. Oh, there's a nostalgic aspect of it. So, you know, someone watching Lethal Weapon or Die Hard for the first time today would not have the impact of me watching it in 1988 before any other media had done anything like those two films did at the time. You know, when Predator showed up, there was nothing like that. When Alien showed up, there was nothing like that ever made prior. Now it's been like The Matrix. When you watch The Matrix for the first time in 1999 in a movie theater, oh, your entire, now
3: you're, right? Now you're talking like if I didn't, understand i mean it wasn't that i was confused it was like what was that, that no
2: was, it was oh. it, okay so that's a that's a movie that you know that's an argued argument that needs a reimagining which they are actually going to go back into the matrix world we'll see what happens with that but you know when i saw the matrix in 99 when it came out in the movie theater your mind it explodes now you sit there today and you show it to somebody who has never seen the matrix it doesn't have the same impact because it's been ripped off so much that it seems tame. But at the moment that it was released, it was so powerful that those vibrations are still hitting us today. The waves of that, 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 that movie still affect cinema into, to, to, until this very day. It, so it that's there's a difference between, I think, you know, pulling going back in time. Like you watch Pulp Fiction. I saw Pulp Fiction in the theater while I was in film school and said, oh my God, what the hell just happened? (laughs) As most people did when they saw that movie, where now you go back to it and you're like, it's a good movie, but it doesn't seem as powerful as it did then because it's been so ripped off. And now we have so much more reference to Quentin Tarantino and his dialogue and the way he did it. But at the time? That was mind-blowing. The Exorcist, when it showed up, people were fainting in the theaters. People were being pulled out. Well, there's a, there's a
3: really good example because I, I saw The Exorcist when it was re-released. It must have been late 90s or something like that. And uh, there was a lot of talk at the time about it being a very scary movie. And like yes, you said, yes, lo- loads of reports about that. And I went to go and see it in the, in the cinema. And I remember my mum saying something like uh, – she wasn't exactly warning me, and she she's not at all prudish. She was just making sure that I knew it was a really scary movie, and I and I was like, yeah, I know. And I watched it, and I remember thinking, what 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 is this? I, I, there's nothing here. And then when I rewatched it for a few years later, I was like, this is a piece of art. This is a brilliant film. Oh, it's but fantastic. The problem, the problem was I was I was queued up for it to be a terrifying um, yes. thing, and and to me as a teenager, it just it wasn't because that wasn't what terrifying was at the time.
2: Yeah. What's but I mean. in 1973 or whenever it came out, Absolutely. it was, it just, I With mean, it, it, it broke every single, you know, cultural moray at all. I mean, it was just completely like little girls, pea soup. It was all this kind of, it was exorcism. It was, it was a much simpler time. That movie is tame in today's world. Completely. Well,
3: uh, th- this would be my, this is my argument why we should ban trailers.
2: mm well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> good luck I with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, listen,
3: it's not an exact plan. It's Christmas. I'm, yeah. I mean, you know, I'm allowed to put it. No, but genuinely, I, I used to watch all the, the trailers. I used to read all the film magazines. I was really kind of a film geek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly as a kid, but it was, there was the internet, but not really. And certainly not the way it is now. There's certainly no um, kind of community the, the way you have now. And um, I stopped doing it very consciously in my late teens, because I realized that every bit of the best bit of every movie, every joke, every explosion I already saw. And so by definition, the only things that were left were less than that, you know, mm-hmm. by definition, I could only be disappointed. So I stopped watching them as much as I could, you know, which pretty much meant just not, uh, I, I don't close my eyes when they're in the cinema, but that tends to be pretty soon after they're going to they're going to be out mm-hmm. as opposed to these long lead times you have nowadays. And um, I, it, it massively improves my understanding of movies. I, I, I don't know what quite what to expect. And I, obviously I still pick up the hype and I still get a sense of the reviews without reading them because people put the stars in the headlines but you still you feel like you're keeping the best of it so you can discover it as much as you can for yourself
2: i do that i do that every time there's a huge movie that i want to see like like avengers endgame i didn't watch any trailers for that i don't think um the the, the, the star the star wars movies like i try not to watch anything of it purely because it was just like i just want to i just want to be surprised when i'm in there and it's you know and you have to rush out opening weekend. If not, you can't go on social media because everything's going to be ruined for you within a matter of, of minutes after people yeah, come totally. out with the movie. But like you know, th- to argue about um, like The Exorcist because I remember watching The Exorcist when I was in high school as well. I was in the in the eighties and I watched it, and I watched it with the lights on in the middle <laughs> of the day because I was t- I was I was told it was so terrifying. And I mean, it is a scary movie, no question. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. It's a scary movie. It's not like terrified, like the movie that terrified me and still like I've watched it a million times. So it doesn't have the same impact, but still gets under my skin is the shining. Like you mm-hmm. watch, you watch the shining it's the music. And there's a the specific reason why there's those four notes. I saw a whole documentary on just the four notes that he uses and why it's used in everything that regards to death and everything like that. But that the music The environment, the performances, it's just eerie. It just gives you like the eebie-jeebies on a psychological level, not on a, because arguably the imagery is not terrifying. No. It really isn't. It's like, it's the suspense. It's the you know, all it's everything all thrown in together. It's, well, let let me, let me ask you then. I think I, this
3: is just a personal theory. Uh, You'll be disappointed here. I have no data to back this up. Um, I I maintain that there are only two uh, horror films made for children. And I think they were made around the similar, I don't know the exact time, but they're similar sort of time, certainly in the the history of film. What what would you say a horror films made for children? Oh, God. Um, oh. And it's not like Hotel Transylvania. It's not anything that uses the Halloween yeah. aesthetic because that's not horror. No, that's no, no. That's a trope. Um, uh,
2: what age group are we
3: looking at? Oh, I think children. I think, you know, sort of um, five to 12. Wow.
0: You know
2: man, I, I mean, other than maybe some Harry Potter films that are, you can argue. Oh, they're dark. The last couple where so many children died. Well, I mean, there it's a Prison, Prisoner of Azkaban, is still my favorite of all the Harry Potter films. And that's a pretty dark, I mean, that's when the, the soul-sucking guys, I forgot what they're called, they come the out. Yeah, the mentors. I mean, it's pretty intense. It's an intense film. That.
3: That's not what I was thinking of, but you're absolutely right. That stuff is, it's meant to be for kids, but it, I mean, I don't know how kids, maybe kids are completely fine and it's just us adults but yes you're absolutely right i i I take your point there that's certainly a darker series than i think anyone would have expected Mm -hmm. um for me the two that i was thinking of are willy wonka in the chocolate factory and chitty chitty bang and chitty chitty bang bang because i will i will will agree with willy wonka (laughs) so willy wonka they increasingly get they get killed in a way that you would in a slasher horror one by one (laughs) right the yes. foreign ones get first, you know, done first. <laughs> also, he's creepy and weird. And then there's that tunnel sequence with the rival. And then there's the, the just like the whole thing is just they basically they're in the woods with a mad person they think is killing people and people are dying one by one. And then there are these weird, small people who seem to be like one of us, one of us, but to it's, different lyrics. Uh, like yes. that's a horror movie. And then Titty Titty Bang Bang, the child snatcher is the most terrifying concept for children (laughs) yes he actively hunts children and he tricks them with the things they want and then kidnaps them and and does it without any sense of humanity like there's no purpose to it and obviously you you imagine i mean as an adult the idea of a lamb without children sounds pretty damn good but uh as a kid it's like you're being hunted and there could be
2: anywhere well i would argue Uh, two other movies that i could throw in there um before i forget matilda Oh yes,
3: and, Pinoc- and,
2: and Pinocchio, Roald Dahl. I mean, if you read the the witches,
3: the um, Roald oh. Dahl books are dark. Okay. But the witches, like they, I mean, again, spoiler. But they they die on the roof, like they. And also, um, uh, Danny the Champion of the World. That's quite dark. Like there's a lot of darkness in in um, Roald Dahl stuff. That like it's not Spielberg oh, My Dad Passed Away in the Past. Dahl, like kids are killing people, and, and they and the adults are genuinely <laughs> evil, and like. Matilda's a great example.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's it's scarier having a, a set of parents like that and the, the school that she goes to than anything else uh, is much scarier than a ghost or anything like that. But we, we, I mean, obviously this podcast is about Die Hard being a Christmas movie. So oh, we've, sorry, no. of course. Let's, let's so get back to work. We, we've, we've, we've gone off the rails a bit because this is what's happening when Stephen and I get on, <laughs> get on a call to start talking <laughs> movies. This is what's going to happen. But I think, I think that the, the um, we've rest our case that it is a Christmas movie and will become more of a Christmas movie as time progresses. Uh, That's
3: the key. I think that the key thing here is that you, if we start, if we were to argue or you were to argue with anybody else about the content of the movie You're you're never going to win because Mm -hmm. you're both seeing the same movie. So Mm -hmm. unless one person's really not paid any attention, like you're you're arguing over minutiae. But the point is, that's not what movies are really there for. Movies are there for yeah, it's about stories. It's about culture. The reason that we all, when we love the same movie and we have the same feeling and we share that and it's incredible, is because it brings us together and it unites us. And so our understanding of movies is the definition of a movie. And so. Die Hard, if enough people think it is, then it is.
2: Exactly. And, you know, you you watch Birth of a Nation now and you just like, I can't believe these people did this. Like this it's so – for our culture and our time period, that movie seems so racist, so everything. Inexplicable. I, it's like how it's, did this happen? How, how did this – and then not only how did it happen, but how is it held up as one of the greatest, you know, movies of its era – if you pass beyond the concept of the movie what dw griffith did with the cameras and so on you know he he's one of the, the the founding fathers of cinema language unfortunately it's with a film like that that's why citizen kane is really taken up that mantle much more than even when i was in film school my film teacher in film history class were like there was birth of a nation and uh And then let's just fast forward to Citizen Kane. So then (laughs) that's basically the way it it was. But that's a perfect example of a film of its time that meant so – it did so well at its time because that was all completely acceptable. There's things that were done in the 80s and in the 70s that you would – do you think Blazing Saddles would come out today? they it actually mel brooks said that recently he was being
3: interviewed and he was like correctness it. is killing comedy i don't know if he if it is or not but his point was it is and he was saying that would never get made today
2: there would be no way in hell like when i saw blazing saddles for the first time i said this movie would never get made today but then borat came out and i was like okay well <laughs> borat was a movie that shh, you know you look at borat and you're like how in hell did this get made But Borat was one of those films in recent years, which is like, I don't know how old it's like 10 years, 10, 15 years old at this time. I don't even know how old it is now. But when it came out, it was still we're still in a very politically correct time. How that movie got through was fascinating. But blazing saddles, I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that coming out today? It would be impossible. I, if there are other
3: things that are shifting, and, and we talked about this a bit earlier on today. I, I mean, uh, I can't remember if we, you and I talked about this on the previous podcast or not, but there's a movie from the mid '80s called "Blame It on Rio," and yeah. uh, it stars yeah. Michael Caine. Yeah. And uh, I just, I just looked it up on IMDb, and the plot, the one, the one line sentence uh, summary is: best friends and their daughters' vacation in Rio de Janeiro, only oh, no. for one of them to fall for the other one's daughter and so basically michael Caine falls for an 18 year old or 17 year old whoever old she is she falls for him he's obviously a, a grown man with his own teenage you know yeah. adult daughter and the and also the the two actresses in it are topless within the movie so not only is the plot wrong it's also got a male gaze to it it's got a very kind of well uh-huh, you know she's attractive and young so that's all the definition we need and i i do wonder what other movies that we perhaps are Children will look at us and go, how did you watch that? Now, we're probably, we're not people that went to go and see Blame It on Rio. And Mm -hmm. and I'd like to think it wouldn't get made today. But there must be movies out recently that we'd all go, and maybe Borat's the one. Or or it's probably something more innocuous. Because when a movie's trying to be Mm -hmm. offensive, Mm -hmm. it's it's almost more okay. Because by definition, you're trying to push boundaries. It's the boundaries that we're not challenging. The ones that we think, this isn't an outrageous statement. This is fairly
2: normal. That's the bit. Well, if you, going to be, if you want to see films that are completely out of date in many ways, just go to AFM <laughs> or, or, go to, or go to the Cannes Film Market. Go to those places and you, you walk around and you see these movies which have exploitation of women, exploitation of action and violence. And it's just this kind of like primal kind of cinema, which was made famous in the 80s. You know this kind of primal muscle bound guys and TNA and you know I still have conversations with distributors of like is anybody naked in it? If they are, I can sell it to Germany or I can sell it to this country because of the nudity involved in it. So there, that's still going on very much so today throughout the world, and it is still it, films like that are are being made. Are they made by the studios? No, they're not made by the studios anymore. The studios have figured out that R rated movies of that manner, it's not something that the culture here at least is really looking at. And they also know they can make more money in PG 13 films. That's why it's so difficult to get a really adult film made in the studio system. Things like Logan or even Deadpool for that matter, even in the, in the, in the superhero genre, you know, those are, those are, you know, hard R movies. Well, thank
3: God Deadpool made so much money because that's kept it alive for another five, ten years. And it will yep. constantly try and kill that. But thank God there was one that got through. And Logan, into too. Like, yeah. But they've all performed the way that Hollywood thinks they have. They just, it would become received with wisdom that they can't make that anymore. Right. Um, So, okay. bringing it back onto topic, is there anything in Die Hard that you think wouldn't get made today? If Die Hard was a script in development and obviously Die Hard and the original didn't exist, but everything else is the same. Do you think it would get made? Who would get cast? Like, how would it get changed? I mean, the idea of him rescuing her, surely that's very kind of.
2: Male, male yeah. gaze, male explanation. It, it, there is there is a male gaze to it. There's no question about it. Would that movie get made today in the way that it's written? I don't, don't, I don't think it. Especially would have get done in the in the in the Hollywood system because, first of all, a movie like that with a star of his caliber. You have to remember this is a star of his caliber at the time. Bruce Willis was nobody. He was just like a, a TV actor, and he he had one you know romantic comedy. Uh, With Blake Edwards called Blind Date with Kim Basinger, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think there was anything else. Die Hard is what made him. So to release a studio movie with an unknown or or very mildly known actor, that's not going to happen today. So you would need a big movie star. Would a big movie star, let's say we throw Tom Cruise in it. We throw Will Smith in it right the now. The Rock. I, no, The Rock. Throw The Rock. We'll yeah, but The Rock did this movie. It was called uh, Skyscreamer. skyscraper, Sky, yeah. Right, was, and was it was horrible. Movie. It was horrible. So The The Rock is a really interesting character, because I'm a huge fan of The Rock. I'm a, a monstrous fan of The Rock. I love what he does. And I just, all his films, even though some of them are really, you know, like I didn't like the Earthquake film or whatever that thing was called. And, you know, and the, San Andreas. Yeah, there, there's certain films that I watch, I was like, oh, dude, Rock, really? But there's other times he's like, oh, well, that was genius. He's a really great performer, a great actor, great personality. But he's one of the last kind of, like, you couldn't throw The Rock in into die hard and make it work because they tried doing that with skyscraper and it didn't work and the reason why is because die hard makes works because it's bruce willis it's the every man if you throw stallone in that you've got daylight you've got you know because daylight was die hard in a tunnel mm-hmm. you know you know or you've got schwarzenegger you can't throw you can't throw arnold in that movie it doesn't have the same energy bruce brought this every man aspect to it that made John McClane what John McClane is. If it was a hyper real human being like The Rock is, The Rock is a hyper real human being. He does not represent the mass audience by any stretch. He is a superior physical specimen. Bruce was not. So are you saying it has to be like Paul Rudd? It has to be like a a generic? It would would have to be kind of, you know, if you would do it, it would have to be someone like a Paul Rudd, you know, because look, they did, Look, Paul Rudd came out with Ant-Man. And he was in great shape because nowadays you can't release a movie like a Die Hard with a dude that's out of shape because then it becomes humorous and people don't buy it. People are way too savvy nowadays. So it it would still have to be a dude that works out. Like, you know, Paul Rudd, he has a six pack. Chris Pratt, you know, he's a beast
3: now. Okay. Okay. So here's my my studio pitch. Die Hard remake, but with all the gender roles flipped and Anna Kendrick is the star.
2: So you see now that's a comedy to me. Because I don't see Anna Kendrick being able to pull off the the action aspect. It's, she's not believable in that but role. But that's no. the point, though. You you just said, but that it's a comedy. But every, no, 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 no. no, no, no. But there's a difference. But there are women actresses out there that I would buy doing that. Like you, you give me. See, Charlize Theron is just she's too beautiful. Um, you know, or Angelina Jolie as well.
3: Yeah, I think, it's
2: to, I think we're getting there eventually. I think if if we just
3: carried on this conversation long enough, we'd end up where we all know we'd end up, which is Meryl Streep.
2: Now, Meryl Streep, I would buy in Die Hard. Why? Because Meryl Streep can read a telephone book, and I would buy it. It doesn't I would matter. Absolutely what, buy that. I mean, to, <laughs> it doesn't matter what Meryl does; she can do no wrong. But with that said, could Meryl pull off Die Hard? I think she could. I think she would do, I mean, she's a little, she's, I mean, she is a bit, she is a little bit, uh, you know, older now, so I'm not sure, but maybe Meryl 10 years ago, 15 years ago? No, 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 she's timeless. It's a role she's playing. No, I, I, (laughs) there is a physicality to it, but you know what? Okay. uh, Helen Mirren, let's throw Helen Mirren in there. Let's, I mean, I think. Dame, Dame Helen Mirren, uh, let's put her or in Maggie there. Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith could do it. Okay, you see, now we're just going off the rails. <laughs> there is a point where, yes, the talent is there, but the body just doesn't care. You can't physically no, carry. No, there's CG.
3: There's, there's, there's you know, computers and stuff. You just you, you get some people to press some buttons on the
2: box, and then they make the body all okay, like. Okay, all right. You know. So let's, I think the bottom line to a remake of Die Hard is like the remake of any movie. There is a magic that happens at the time that it's released with a group of people that are putting it together that cannot be recaptured. There's never been a remake that is as good or even than than the original. It does Ooh, not. Oh, I, I disagree. Give me, give All me right. the re- give me a remake. Thomas Crown Affair. Oh yeah, gotcha. <laughs> well, I mean, the James, and there's and there's James Bond as well, but okay, but yes, that's a remake, but. <laughs> okay, okay, but first of all, Thomas Crown Affair, which I love, Thomas Crown Affair, uh, the the new one, the one with Pierce. The difference is that the Thomas Crown Affair, there was such a long time. like mean, look at look at a Star is Born. You know, I love the recent remake of that. But something that's so iconic, because you could argue that Thomas Crown Affair is not as iconic as a Die Hard. not as right. a, 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 you can't remake the Godfather. I'll give I'll give you another you one. You can't remake right. Shawshank Redemption. Like it's not possible.
3: Not in look, the way it is. I love Infernal Affairs. It's a great movie, but The Departed is a better movie. Now, maybe it's my cultural understanding that maybe the subtitles and – Yes, and, you
2: know, but it's but also but – it it's a remake from a foreign film. There are many foreign films that had remakes. That, I mean, look, uh, the entire Sergio Leone run with The Man With No Name is a remake of uh, Yojimbo, which arguably to me is a better film than Yojimbo because of just – Leone and Eastwood at that time period, though I do love – I'm a huge Kurosawa fan as well. So they're just different. They're All different right, okay. films. Infernal Let's Affairs go- and Departed are completely different because you've got the energies of Scorsese and, and – you know, th- th- that movie oh, made, yeah, Mark okay, Wahlberg, okay. made Mark Wahlberg – made Mark Wahlberg – see, Mark Wahlberg stole every scene he was in in that movie. How is that humanly possible? Okay, I, I got three, three other. I, I'll
3: give up if I can't convince you with these
2: three, okay. and the last
3: one's the one that I'm going to get you on. So okay. okay, My my next bet to see if the sequel's better, Ocean's Eleven.
2: Yeah, it is. Of course, it is. But that was a bad movie to begin with. I didn't like Ocean's the, the original Ocean's Eleven. I thought it was just it's just not well done. So they just took the concept and remade it into a That's much, much much better yeah. film. Okay, because all right, just,
3: okay. Yeah. Number two, I'm going to
2: get you on this last
3: one. But number two, the Mummy.
2: Well, again, they're just like you could say. I mean, come on, the, the original Mummy was made a hundred years ago, literally. So you know, when they remade the Mummy um, with Brendan Fraser, is it a better movie? No, I thought those movies were the only thing that was redeemable about those movies was Brendan Fraser at that time in his career. He he made them fun. The director Stephen yeah. whatever his name is. He's a horrible director. I'm sorry. He destroyed uh, – he did Van Helsing. He's not a good director. He's not a good storyteller in my personal opinion. Are they fun movies? Yeah, The Mummy's fun. I rode the ride at Universal. It's great. It's <laughs> not – like in the new Mummy, oh, God, that was just oh. – That was really – Oh, bad. that okay, was okay. so bad.
3: Here's my last one. Here's my final final offer. Okay. okay. So you were saying how some of the uh, films like uh, Ocean's Eleven just took the concept and changed it. Yeah. You're not going to get away with this, this last okay. one. Go for it. Go for it. Gus Van Sant's Psycho.
2: Well, that's a that's a literal frame by frame <laughs> remake. It was it was not good. No, it was it's not, not, good at all. It's not. It's not. It's not that joking. it's not good. It's not that it's not good. You know, because it's literally the same movie with updated actors. <laughs> he did, he understood that you can't remake Psycho. Like you can't remake Psycho. It's a it's it's the
3: audacity to remake Hitchcock, but then the humility to appreciate you can't improve it. So you're just mm-hmm. going to shoot it in color. Like in,
2: that's such a complex. in color with it with with these new actors. But you watched both of those movies, and you just can't recreate the magic. Like, can you remake Star Wars? No. Can you remake Rocky? No. Like Creed is a fun movie, but it's not Rocky, nor will it ever be because Rocky was the first of its kind back in 1976 when it came out. Well, so OK, it, then let, let, let me take that. This, let's
3: make this the final thought for this Christmas podcast, because yes. I want to make a suggestion that yes. next year. Yes. In 12 months from now, yes. we have not the topic of his Die Hard, a Christmas movie, or the best Christmas movie. Yeah. The, the thesis I want to put out, which I, I don't have the data for yet, mm-hmm. is that Rocky is a love story.
2: It is a love story.
3: It's a oh, romance it, film.
2: It's absolutely a romance film. Are you kidding me? Of course it's a romance Where's film. Where's your data, though? My data, the whole damn thing revolves around him and Adrian. The background is the fight. The fight is the background, that which he doesn't win. So that's a subplot. The main plot is Rocky finding love. And 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 finding that whole relationship with Adrian, the second movie has to do more about Rocky and his fame, and then eventually beating Apollo. But then he it, it the, the without without Adrian, it becomes a very different movie. Like that whole movie, like they spent they spent so much time like in the ice rink at the, the pet shop. That's not an action like- movie. they're they're dates dates. this is a date movie Rocky's a date movie without question it's a romance film I I, I would completely 110% argue with that now is Rocky 3 and 4 a date movie absolutely not they are not (laughs) they have now then I think 2 was that little transition before it became the hyper real you know amazing films that they were in the 80s. Isn't this some kind of
3: really clever meta comment on relationships that when you first meet somebody, you're excited by them. You go on dates to the ice rink, you know, bad things happen in your life, but you don't mind. But then very soon, life starts to feel like Rocky three and Rocky four, you know, the relationship and then, hits, and, then but, and then the
2: divorce happens at Rocky five, but then, yeah, then, but then, then 10 years the later, but then 10, 15 years later, you find yourselves again. And then Rocky Balboa comes out. So it's like, cause Rocky Balboa, I thought was a fantastic film. I, I, I couldn't believe that it was, as, it had no business being as good as it was. Uh, it really did. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was outrageous but what stallone did with rocky balboa the, the the actual movie called rocky balboa was fantastic you know and then what they did with creed cuz he had he put he put rocky to bed and then um what's his name came up uh, uh the, the director of black panther i forgot his name he came up with creed and said i want to do this and rocky's like i mean stallone's like okay and now they've created a whole new generation of people following creed which is a great story in its own right um but and if you remember rocky balboa was not about uh, Adrian's, Adrian's past at that point. So she's not with him anymore. So now it becomes a story about his own redemption with his own son, and it becomes all this kind of stuff. But uh, uh, a side note, a quick note. Do you remember in Rocky that, um, that Rocky had a pet, two pet turtles? Yeah. They're still alive.
3: Whoa! So you're saying we could make a a, a remake with the same actors?
2: No, 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 no! Wait a minute! They're still alive. They're 44 years old. I just read the.
3: They're a bit old for Hollywood. Then we should go for younger
2: ones. Yeah, we have to obviously have to go for a younger turtle because of the the shell. On their their shells, yeah, yeah, like painted Uh, out. But the point is that they're still alive, and they they live with Stallone, and they were both in Creed. He brought them back on the set. He put them in the, in, the, in the thing. He's like, yeah, I've been keeping them around for 44 years. It's, it's, I, when I saw the picture of it, I was like, I can't believe those things are still alive. So are we not giving him enough credit? Is this like Boyhood? Where he's- <laughs> <laughs> it's like Boyhood. Okay. I want to just talk about Boyhood for a second because, guys, now we're going full full film geek. So if you're still listening, please just in, just endure it. Uh, if, but- if you're listening to this on Christmas day, Christmas
3: Day, go and talk to your family. Yes, uh, you'll well, obviously be around forever.
2: Exactly. We I would argue boyhood, if you take the elements of what Linklater did over the course of how many years he did this, if you take that out and just shot it normally with different actors, it's not a good movie. It's not a good movie. But because of every scene that you watch... You're like, I want to see what the kid looks like. I want to see what you, Ethan Hawke looks like. I want to see what Patricia – like that is what kind of carries it, for, for me at least. I didn't – I'm never going to watch Boyhood again. Yeah, it's it's not, Evil Knievel basically. It's not that you
3: want to hear what he's got to say, but you yeah. want to see if he makes the jump.
2: That's a great analogy. That's a really good – there are films like that. There are films like the the one – like I'll watch Birdman again because I thought Birdman was fantastic. But you want to see like how did he pull off that – the technical aspect. Gravity. You know, you watch Gravity, you're like, how did they pull off Avatar? Or, you know, like these technically insane films, you're like, I just got to see how they did it, you know? Uh, and then if you're lucky, you find a movie that's technically pro- insane and also has a good story that you could watch again and again. Like, I'm fascinated to see what James Cameron does with his next four Avatar films that he's doing. From what I'm hearing through the grapevine, it's it's something that's so insane that we can't even... Can't even grasp at this. Well, point. I, I hope that our grandchildren
3: who are around when they come out will enjoy the movies. And, I know, uh, I, I really I, appreciate. it.
2: Yeah, my, I'll, I'll be seventy when that comes out. Jesus Christ! I mean, look, you're rebuilding technology. It's just what he does. I mean, he's, he's, what he did in Avatar. We're, we started using as, as you know, like the capturing the face for visual effects and stuff. That, that's a standard now. Before then, there wasn't. A, like nobody had done that. I can, I tell you a quick. Can I tell you a quick Cameron yeah. Avatar story? All right. So I had a friend of mine. Who was um, he? He was shadowing Cameron on the original Avatar, and he walked on the set and he was there for a few days. He's a he's a, a DGA director and he he asked to be on the set. He's like, sure, come over and see what we're doing. So he gets to this soundstage that has, uh, you know, it's just the, it's the it's the mocap stage, and behind Cameron there's literally sixty to seventy people in this kind of arena style seating arrangements with thousands of thousands of computers and cables and everything because the technology was literally being designed as they were doing it and he had this one camera that he saw everything so in that one viewfinder he saw everything the entire world around him rendered rendered so he could just move the camera to the left and whatever is supposed to be there would be there a forest a you know a tree or whatever so there was a scene where he's jumping off a helicopter and then he, you know, like when they, when they land, like when the avatars land and they jump off and they run a little bit. Um, he does that and then he runs into a tree. Like he literally runs into a tree. There's no tree there, but he runs into a virtual tree and he yells, cut, cut. Jimmy, Jimmy, move this tree over 30 feet. <laughs> and you see this mouse come in from the heavens grab the tree, lift the tree up with roots and all, and moves it 30 feet the other way and plants it. And you're just sitting there. We are in the presence of somebody who's playing at a completely different level than pretty much anybody else on the planet. You're, You're absolutely right. Although I have a, gen- and, and what I'm about to say might
3: sound cheeky or deliberately rude, but I mean it as a genuine, genuine question. Given the huge amount of money and the the fact they had to invent entire departments, technologies, yeah, 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 jobs, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: why didn't anyone work on the script?
2: Oh, Jesus, here we go. Anytime I hear anybody. I saw, I saw Fern Gully. I didn't need it to be in 3D. <laughs> I wasn't missing a dimension. Okay, I and saw Dances with Wolves as well. Listen.
3: Exactly. Okay, What's so, the so the the,
2: the, the, this is the deal. And, and, okay, well, I'll t- let me finish the story, and then I'll tell you my, my feelings on Oh, that.
3: sorry. I thought that was okay.
2: the story. No, 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 no. the story's not that. The other story, the rest of the story is that he walks up to Jam- James Cameron afterwards like, Hey, Jim, you know, you know this is pretty impressive, man. You know, This is pretty, pretty cool what you got going on. And James Cameron turns and goes. You know what would be effing amazing is if I didn't have this damn cable. That would be impressive. This cable that's always hooked up to my camera. I don't like that. And that's <laughs> that's the mentality of someone like James Cameron. He's like, for us, we look at it going, "Oh my god, you've got godlike uh, technology." And he's like, "Yeah, but the cable." <laughs>
3: you know, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know how true this is, but I heard a story, uh, not through someone who was there, but maybe may apocryphal, but I understand it to be true. When he was planning uh, Terminator Two. Mm-hmm. He was. He went to the chat to the uh, the VFX people. This is in the planning stages, and he had all these ideas. And he was like, "Oh, can you do this thing where you do it like this?" And they were like, "Yeah, yeah, 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 we can do that." And he was like, "Oh, okay." can you do this thing where like we did that? And they were like, yeah, 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 we can do that. And he was like, okay. Mm-hmm. And then he said, what if it was like, I don't know, liquid metal and it was walking through fire. And they're like, we don't know how to do it. He, I want that. I want that. <laughs> I want the thing you don't know how to do, figure it out. And uh, and you can kind of see that like, it, but that's it, him. He didn't do anything that's been done before because that's
2: boring. Right. Exactly. And now to answer your question in regards to the script, I don't care what anyone says about his, his writing, his script. Every one of his films, I mean, Titanic and Avatar, Avatar made two point some billion dollars at the box office. It wasn't from marketing. It wasn't from, you don't make a movie that big on a franchise that is not a franchise. You have to educate the people about it. So it's a non-existing IP. And he was able to do that purely on spectacle to a certain extent. But in the world that we live in, spectacle only takes you so far. If the visual effects, we are. it's not like Jurassic Park. Where you were like, oh my God, there's dinosaurs. Like we're past that stage at this point. So for whatever reason, and he might be tapping into something that we don't understand, maybe never will, that hit a chord internationally with so Many people that had generated 2.7 billion or whatever it did. That doesn't make
3: it. doesn't make it a good script. I mean, he's a good director and he's very good with concepts. He's very good with the two. But three the point.
2: It, but the thing. point. It, and but now it's perception. But no, listen. Bad. I agreed. Agreed. Whether you agree with it or not. Excuse me. I don't agree. I, the thing is this. Is it? Look. Is Shawshank Redemption a better script than Avatar? Absolutely. There's just no question. Is The Godfather a better script and movie than Avatar? Absolutely it is. Is Sausage Party a better script than Avatar? Yes. Nah, okay, maybe. Is- <laughs> but the point the point is this. It is the perception of the audience. He does not make movies for you to or movies for me specifically in regards to like, is this a perfect script? If you go back and look at True Lies, if you go back and look at Aliens, if you go back and look at The Abyss – um, or even Titanic. People will like crap it on Titanic. People still crap on Titanic. But I can watch that movie any time of the day I'll watch it because of Yes, oh, but my my genuine question
3: is uh, honestly, I mean this is a real question. Considering the unbelievable lengths he goes to in the way that he films them, the the unbelievable brilliant visual storytelling, the 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 digital stuff, so much of the, his movies are pushed to the most the absolute limit, and then the script is written on a Thursday afternoon because he had nothing else to do, and then locked. Like wh- what on I mean, earth? Why aren't you putting it to? Why hasn't he got teams of writers? Why isn't he putting it apart?
2: Why isn't he doing what Pixar does to a script? Because he the way he makes his films, he's able to tap into something that audiences react to, whether you agree with it or so not. It's, it's perception. He doesn't, he doesn't have to make, look, our Pixar movies, arguably most of them amazing. Absolutely. Some of them are just, I mean, they're just masterworks, they're masterworks, the way he was able to, they're able to write their scripts and the system that they write it in. But James Cameron writes, you know, writes Avatar the way it just it just touches people in a way that's unexplainable. If you look at the script, is it the best written script of all time? Absolutely not. It is but not. But why not? Why not? Because it but is he the best. But he else. doesn't have to. He doesn't. Oh, ha- he doesn't that's have that's to. Terrible. No, no, wait a minute. He doesn't have to because he knows. Because in his mind, he has beaten it up. And in his mind, it is aiming at the audience that he wants to tell. The story that he wants to tell and reacts to the message that he wants to get out is exactly what that script was for him. I don't think he's lazy. I don't think he's not doing the job. It's a perception issue. That's all it is. Just like I Die Hard. The only look, reason he
3: made Titanic was so that he could get in a ship and go down and look at the real one. Hey, hey, look, he likes playing with toys. You know what? Michael
2: Bay plays with a lot of toys, and his films can't hold a candle to any <laughs> Of James That's Cameron's. Very films.
3: true. Also, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying this. Okay. Listen, we're coming to the end of the podcast because yes. it'll be, it'll literally be Christmas day at some point. <laughs> so, some people, maybe just three or four people, and maybe one person who left it running by mistake are listening to this right now, <laughs> uh, an yes. hour and a half in, we have to give them something special. I have no idea what, but thank you. Uh, I don't know what's going on in your lives that you have dedicated two hours to this. And I'm deeply yes. sorry, but I am appreciative. So we have to bring it back to Die Hard. We have to say a thank you and a Merry Christmas to the people listening. But what can we give them? What can we, um, what, what wisdom can we give them that they no one else is going to get? This is exclusive to
2: them. Okay, so this is the this is the um, this is the order of which you need to watch Die Hard films if you're going to watch them. One 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 three one 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 three. Okay, so obviously one many times, but <laughs> one three four two. And then, if you want to keep going down the path, you watch the other two at, at your leisure. But that's uh, that would be where I would. That's how I would watch them. Okay, in I,
3: I would suggest that you watch them in a marathon. That you drink heavily and you go one, three, four, five, two. Because by the time you get to five and two, you'll probably be in the right state to watch them.
2: <laughs> and every time, every time he says, uh, every time they say the word gun, you yes. uh, you take a shot.
3: Exactly. <laughs> And 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 just before the second one starts, you take three shots. Uh, yeah,
2: exactly. Oh God! Yeah. But uh, but arguably one and three are their masterworks. I love three. I think three was fantastic. Three is a great movie. I really
3: enjoyed it as a kid. I've watched it as an adult, and it's good. I I do enjoy it. It's it doesn't transcend. So few films do, and obviously that's not the criteria for a good movie transcendence. Mm-hmm. But the idea of you know stepping out of just being a good time into something. Okay, so
2: uh, I'm going to ask two questions of you, and then I'll answer them as well. And this is where we'll, right. le- we'll leave it. Um, f- your top five Christmas movies of all time, and your top five 80s action films of all time.
3: Oof. Well... Die Hard is topping both those lists, but that's cheating, I guess. I think Elf is an unbelievably brilliant movie. Like, I, I watched it. I think I avoided it when it first came out. And I just so don't think it was for me. So and good. I, the first time I watched it, because I think I'd watched it after reading screen uh, screenwriting books and things and thought, okay, I should watch it. And I was like, this is so good. And it even has a moment where it looks like he's going to kill himself. And, and it's so universal. It's so quotable, you know. Uh, and it's, you know, Hi, I'm Elf. What's your favorite color? I actually I want to answer the phone like that every day. Um, it's got two stars in it. Who were both brilliant, but weren't as well known as they are now, right? With, you know, and I just that movie hits me every time, and and I sort of keep it back. I don't watch it too often, you know, maybe once a year, uh, just so that I can really truly appreciate it and not make it too familiar. Um, I think Home Alone is is uh, as a kid, you know, uh, I had it as a video, uh, as a VHS, and mm-hmm. I. Love the idea of it. I think it's not aging too well insofar as it's as a kid. You just go with it as an adult. You know, the violence is slightly shocking. Uh,
2: Well, I mean, it's 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 cartoon violence. It's it's not There's no real damage done. So it's kind of like it's kind of like Marx Brothers or Three Stooges kind of violence.
3: Yeah. Although it feels slightly more real just because of the deep, powerful performance Joe Pesci gives.
2: Um, And Daniel Stern. Both of them, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's in it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> ah, come on, that scream! Ah, that's amazing.
3: Come on, his scream is the best. Okay, I'll give you that three seconds of screen time. Um, yes, I think. Uh, I, I, I tell you what, I think Love Actually is an awful oh,
2: movie. You think? Oh, excuse uh, me. I'm sorry. What was that? It's an awful movie. It's okay. Terrible. Okay, I, we're just it gonna feels- end, we're we're gonna end this right now. I mean, if no, you no, can't no, no, if no, you no, can't no. Love Actually, I mean, come on.
3: No, no, but it's cheating because it's got loads of half stories and moments. Of course, you're going to like little bits of it because it's the best bits. It's like going, um, instead of having a proper meal, oh, I know like what
2: you're
3: <laughs> two or three things off everyone's <laughs> plate, you're going to get sick at the end. You're eating all the sweets and all the candy. Like it's just not, it's No, it's lazy because it's got no through line. It's just loads of fun things like here's a thing, here's a thing, here's a thing. And then, and some of them are just, I mean, also this, the, the Colin Firth story is just a bit, Weird, but I tell you what, the the Laura Linney thing is some of the best uh, story and performance I've seen in such a long time, and that moment with Emma Thompson and the Christmas, oh, season, it oh. justifies the entire movie, mm-hmm. and is just the most hot. Heart- you know, I, I saw her on a plane um, not a long ago. I didn't talk to her, obviously, because I'd be really mean. But um, when I, I saw her, and the first thing that flashed in my head, all the things she's done, and I think she's terrific as a writer. She's incredible as a performer. She's brilliant. She seems like a lovely person. But the thing that came to me in my head was just that moment, that one shot where her performance destroys you. And, yeah. yet she does it. And I just, that will, I mean, that for that moment alone, Obviously, there's loads of fun things in the movie as well. I do like the bit on the bench where, I sort of, you know, I'm in love. Oh, that's fantastic! Wait, didn't you hear what I just said? Oh, yeah, good point. That's terrible. That's kind of sweet. i mean, un- unnatural, but mm. sweet. <laughs> um, so, also, that thing with Kira Knightley is just creepy. Talk about aging poorly.
2: Oh, like that, that's that that's that is stalkerish. That's oh. just yeah.
3: Also, it's all done as a cute thing. Like, it's, it's like, oh, don't worry. It's, you're, you're a man. You're allowed to be like this. Like, no. Okay. okay, 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 okay.
2: So what are the, other, what are the
3: next ones? Uh, so I think Bad center is kind of incredibly Christmassy. I think it's kind of fun. Okay. I think um, uh, it's – I'm not sure I'd watch it many times, but it's something fun. And then the last one, you have to go with The Muppets Christmas Carol because wow. The Muppets
2: make anything better. Well, obviously, if you add the Muppets to anything, it does make it better. I mean, there's no question. Um, All right, so I will, I will, I will concur that Die Hard is on the list. Uh, In no particular order, I would say Scrooged with Bill Mm -hmm, Murray, mm -hmm. very good, fantastic film. Uh, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say the fa- I'm gonna say the Family Man. I love the Family Man. I don't care what you say. I love the Family Man, and I'm I'll you say know, I'm this, very proud. This is very being proud.
3: recorded, Alex. You know, I understand. I'm
2: very proud of it. I'm no, very no, You're on it.
3: the record at the moment. They, they I, I've been on
2: the I was on the record when I interviewed the writers. Yes, there were writers on that movie. Yes, and it did very well. It's nothing well. right.
3: There's nothing right. Even about
2: though, even though it was directed by Brett Ratner, which I still think it wasn't. I think it was somebody else who did it because there's way too much heart in that film that Brett Ratner would direct it. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Um, I would say, uh, so what is that, three? Uh, I would say Love Actually would probably be another one on that list. And I would say it's a tie between Elf and The Holiday, because I love The Holiday as well. I've never seen it. I know of it, but I have never seen it. It's it's really a wonderful film as well. Oh, It's a Wonderful Life. No, if I don't, I don't like, it. I don't like, I don't like it. I don't like it. I'm sorry. I don't like it. I've watched it. I recently watched it again. I was like, I, I don't get it. I'm sorry. Everybody who hates it uh, hates me for saying that. I just don't get it.
3: I don't think anyone hates you for it. I think everyone just feels for you, Alex. You know, what's going on in your life? <laughs> I'm and not, also,
2: I'm I'm very depressed. I'm very, uh. Obviously. Who
3: hurt you? Who who hurt you? That that this This is. <laughs> We, we if, can get them. Don't worry.
2: We can, we can, maybe we should have a session about this later. Uh, but yes, oh, I think uh, you should
3: it, definitely talk to somebody. About maybe this, I should watch can...
2: it again, but I've watched it Especially. twice and both times I was just like, okay, okay, sure. Sure. Uh, it just doesn't, uh, I, you know, I would rather watch nightmare before Christmas or home alone without question. Yeah. Okay. But that's, you know,
3: there's, there's very few things in the world I would like to do more than I'd like to watch home alone. So that's, you know, it's whether you'd watch nothing then anyway.
2: Yeah. I would watch nothing. I would watch nothing rather than watching.
3: Okay. Uh, your question about 80, the best 80s action movies. I have yes. a, uh, I have a process question. Do you count the two Indiana Jones films as one choice or two on my
2: list? Ooh, um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give them to you as a one-er. We'll, we'll give okay. it to you as a one cause I, cause I know cause there's, well, all right. It's a hard, you, d-
3: cause yeah. they're, they're, they're a marathon, you know, they are a movie together. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, and also, because you said 80s, we don't have to include the Crystal Skull Madness. So that's good. <laughs> uh, that's a relief. If we, I'm glad you added the time frame, because that's just... Please, made 80s. It has so to be 80s,
2: easier. 80s, 80s.
3: All right. So, obviously, Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the original Terminator is just uh, oh. so much better than it needs to be. Like, mm-hmm. it's just such a schlocky idea at a schlocky time with a low budget, and uh, it had nothing going for it, and it, everyone involved made it so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's just terrific. Um, I think you were talking before about John McClane, uh, being Jesus. Uh, I think you meant Robocop.
2: Obviously, uh, obviously Robocop.
3: Yeah. I think, uh, the, 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 the cause I rewatched that. Um, it's I so saw good. the, it's so good. I didn't realize how good it was cause I it's saw it as so a kid and I, and I, obviously I really enjoyed it, but then I rewatched it when it was, I don't know it was re-released or I think I saw it in a cinema Oh, no, I saw it at like Soho House, one of those screenings that was just like, do you want to come along? I was like, all right, fine. And I took a friend of mine who uh, is someone I've worked with before who's sort of in his late 20s and had never seen this version. And both of us came out, for obviously, he'd never seen it. So he was like, oh, wow, actually, that was really good. And I came out going, yeah, actually, I, I thought it would be sillier. Um, and actually, it was really, really quite profound. Um,
2: it's, it's, it's such a, it is such a social commentary with it, it, hidden inside of an insane action film.
3: Uh, and then I think uh, the best 80s action film, better than Die Hard, mm-hmm. better than The Jones, mm-hmm. better even than Commando, has to be The Empire Strikes Back.
2: I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disavow, not disavow. <laughs> I'm not going to allow Empire Strikes Back because that is a sci-fi action. So because then you could throw Aliens in there as well. Um, as but I would say I, I'm you have another choice. If I, I agree with you, it's on the list of the top five films of the '80s without question. But let's let's keep keep the genre as pure as possible. Though Predator, I would argue, is much more action than it is a sci-fi film. But that's just that me. makes
3: sense. All right. Well, uh, Return of the Jedi. No, no I'm joking. Um <laughs> Well, we'll ignore Death Wish one, two, and three. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. And- and also Raw Deal and, and, and oh, Invasion Oh, Raw USA. Deal. Wow.
2: But invasion USA. Jesus. What are we going to go into? Lord, Amer- no. American Ninja? American Ninja? What are we going? Let's uh, Bloodsport? Lone,
3: Lone, Lone Wolf McQuaid? No. no. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go for <laughs> Batman. Okay. Okay. The Tim Burton Batman. Okay. All right. Oh. I, Shit. I forgot one. Can I have a bonus one, please? Sure. The Running Man.
2: Oh, so good. It's So good! That's such a good movie. That's such and basically, basically predicted uh, the reality, the reality uh, genre mm-hmm. in general, uh, and it hasn't gotten too far away from killing people on screen. So I would argue that my top five is Die Hard, Predator, mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. um, Terminator Two. Which uh, I think, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say it's. I feel it well. Don't forget, '84, I was in fourth grade, '89, I was in, co- in in high school. So, arguably, Terminator 2 had are a you much arguing, bigger impact. Are you
3: arguing film numbers with me?
2: I am, I'm arguing it from the point of view of when I watched it. It had much bigger impact on me in '89 when I was working at a video store than I was in fourth grade in '84, which I didn't see it. Well, I I was born in 82, so I haven't seen any of these films in the 80s. So you're much younger than me. So um, (laughs) thank you for – thank you, sir. You have an old soul.
3: That that is because you brought in Terminator 2 to a list of 80s movies and just made the mockery of the whole concept.
2: Okay, so it's Terminator 2. So there's four of them. And I said Lethal Weapon, right? So Lethal Weapon, Predator, Die Hard. Um, And I want to say – um, I mean, the Indiana Joneses are a good, always a good, always a good pick. But you know, I'm I'm gonna go off genre a little bit, and you could kind of argue it's still a little heavier on the sci-fi. But I'm gonna say Aliens, man. I think Aliens is so,
3: so, so, so good that it is good. But if you're gonna start picking films that you have disavowed yourself, then you're just what's the t- point? I think this podcast what? should end now. I think this has been a supreme waste of your time and mine. I, I think didn't so. We were, were playing so disingenuously. I'm hurt. <laughs> You know, I may be the reigning <laughs> champion, but I'm not coming back. I can see oh, my it's... guests don't do this. Oh. This is outrageous. <laughs> I'm writing a strong letter of complaint <laughs> to, who?
2: to me. How, how awesome. dare you, sir? How dare, oh, you? D- how dare you, sir? How dare you? I shall now go drink some tea. So I quite like uh, <laughs> Film Tribe. Please email
3: Alex and inform him both what, when the '80s ended, and also what, that what, he,
2: what, first <laughs> of, of all is not an action film. First of all, okay. Now we can have a whole other episode about aliens actually being an action film, but yeah, secondly, okay. it, it is. I'll, I'll anyway, I mean, it is. It's 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 Rambo: First Blood Part Two, um, yeah. basically. Well, that's you know that's why there's Marines and Aliens. You yeah. know that, right? Yeah, because he Cameron yeah. Cameron, wrote, Cameron wrote Rambo. I don't know if people. A lot of people know that Cameron wrote Rambo, uh, Part Two. Which is also arguably an insanely wonderful action film, um, and we could just start going down the line of amazing no, no, films. no, 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 no. We haven't but, got time for that. Uh, no, we'll we wait don't for next Christmas. Next Christmas, we'll do same bat time, same bat channel. We'll we'll find <laughs> we'll find um, we'll, we'll we'll do another Christmas special. Maybe we'll start doing this yearly. Stephen,
3: uh, I think this would be <laughs> <laughs> well. It, it'll take the full year for me to do the work and then for us to talk for three days. But uh, <laughs> but all jokes aside. Merry Christmas, Alex. Yeah, oh, Merry Thank Christmas. You for, it's been really fun. And, uh, and, uh, to everyone listening, thanks for, you know, supporting Alex and the work he does. And also for just joining us on a, on a rather mad ramble, uh, which had very little to do with Die Hard. But,
2: That's not true. Uh, well, if we, if we go back to the tapes, we can actually, if you want to do the stats on it, we spoke about Die Hard most of the time.
3: Uh, my memory is that you spoke mostly about your inexplicable love for the family man, but you know whatever. <laughs>
2: You're Honestly, it's sir. not
3: too late. Just cut it out. No one will know. No, no, it no, no. Be fine. no. No, no,
2: no. I, I stand by my I stand by it, sir. I stand by Nicolas Cage at Christmas time. Well, first of all, did you hear about that new Nicolas Cage movie, which is called Pig? Where no. he, he's chasing he's he's in search of a truffle pig that someone stole from him.
3: Let this be <laughs> let his later career be a lesson to anyone who thinks they can evade taxes. This is what happens. <laughs> this this is from Wesley Snipes. This, pay your taxes, ladies and gentlemen. Otherwise, you will
2: have the same fate. Yes, thank you, Stephen, for uh, for coming on. Merry Christmas, and for Merry anyone Christmas and for here. anyone listening, stop listening to us and go talk to your family. Yeah, you may not like them, but they're the only ones you got. Go talk to them. <laughs> Thanks. Bye bye. Well, the verdict is in, and Die Hard is in fact a Christmas movie. It's undeniable. You can't argue the facts, and now you have so much ammo. To debate anybody at the next Christmas party on whether Die Hard is or is not a Christmas movie. I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I, I truly like to geek out every once in a while. I, I always talk so much about business and the craft and, and you know doing all the serious stuff about filmmaking and building a business and being a film entrepreneur and all of that stuff. But you know, under all of this, guys, after under all this shrapnel, there lives a film geek. A 15-year-old kid who worked at a video store and has seen thousands and thousands of movies. I am a film geek. I am a cinephile. And I like geeking out like anybody else. So every once in a while, I'm going to bring somebody on, and we're going to geek out about stuff. But I I hope this episode really was enjoyable to you guys. I really hope that this Christmas gift to the tribe was enjoyed by all. Now, if you want to get links to anything we talked about in this episode, including including that insane article proving all of this data and breaking down all this data for Die Hard as a Christmas movie that Stephen wrote, head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 367 for the show notes. And for the members of Indie Film Hustle TV, we have brand new courses that I just uploaded, including Story Blueprint, The Hero's Two Journeys, an hour-long breakdown of the story and script of Aaron Brockovich by Michael Hagan and Chris Vogler and it's available for purchase or part of the subscription and if you want to check all that out plus a bunch of new stuff that I have coming up including exclusive film entrepreneur training that I am working on right now that would hope, hopefully will be done by the beginning of next year, and I'm gonna be adding new courses and new mini-courses on film entrepreneur, on micro-budget filmmaking, and a whole bunch of other stuff that I'll be working on on Indie Film Hustle TV. So check it out. Head over to ifhtv.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. Merry, Merry Christmas. Have a great holiday season, and I wish you and your family a fantastic new year. Thanks again, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And yippikaye mother! Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast at IndiefilmHustle.com. That's
1: I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E dot com.